Good evening, everyone. Let me just look for this quickly. Uh, so it's uh, really great to be back. For those of you who know me, you would know that I've been away for about two weeks now. Um, we just had the, you'll see it's the title, but I promise the reason I'm preaching about this is not because of my family life. <laughs> it's actually something that I really wanted to preach about. But we were away now for two weeks. We just um, uh, celebrated the birth of our third little one, um, Ellie. Yes. <laughs> I did not prepare a photo. I actually thought afterwards I, I should have just sent a photo through so that you, could, you guys could see what amazing genes have combined to produce. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But produced a, a wonderful little girl. And everyone keeps asking me how we're doing. <laughs> and the... Uh, the honest answer to the question is, we are doing much better than I thought. That's the honest answer. <laughs> and I think the big reason for that is uh, we were, the only experience that we've had with having children um, are our twins. And let me tell you, this time it's much easier, but I don't want to get too cocky because it might just turn in a moment and I might be zombie walking here next Sunday. But at this stage, things are going so well. We're really enjoying our little one. It's been amazing. We want to thank the church for coming around us. So many people have brought us meals, supported us, prayed for us in this time. And it's great to be part of a spiritual family like this. So tonight, I am going to actually speak about birth. And uh, it's, again, as I said, it's not because we've recently gone through it, because I, but because I, I really believe it's something on the Lord's heart. And I think after last Sunday with Jonathan Conrath, just seeing the multitude of people going forward and, and reaching out to the Lord, I believe that God wants to look at that moment that we come to the Lord, that we give ourselves to the Lord, and make sure that we put the correct building blocks in place. So let me tell you a little bit about the birth of our little one. Not too much detail. I'm not going to get in trouble tonight. I'll just share a little bit of detail. <laughs> but when she was born now, um, we had to make a decision at some point during the process. Our twins were born via cesarean section. And so at some point in the process, it, it, it looked like everything was not going exactly according to plan. Carla was in labor. Uh, she was in pain, squeeze, starting to squeeze my hand, starting to say, this is really hurting. And we were in the hospital waiting for things to, to start happening. And the doctor came to us and he suggested that we rather go for a cesarean again. Because of a lot of complications that could happen, the baby was turned the wrong way. And as she came out, as we went for that option and she, she was born, that absolute miracle. I just, just feel like if, if you want to know that God exists, you look at a child being born. You look at the absolute miracle of a child being formed out of two little cells coming together and a human being being formed. I mean, even doctors say they don't know when or how the eyes just split at some stage. It's it's closed piece of skin, and then at some stage it just splits. It's an absolute miracle. It must be the cure for atheism, I'm sure. Just have a child. <laughs> Find a wife first or a husband first, preferably. <laughs> but just to have a child, it's, it's such a beautiful moment. But during this process that this was happening, we saw that um, as she came out, we saw that the umbil umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck, which is not what you want. And she was faced the wrong direction, which makes that as she comes out, her neck would tilt and she would struggle with breathing. So we're just so thankful for the doctor's intervention there and that we've got a healthy baby. That's the best thing you can pray for is just, Lord, healthy baby. So we are, we blessed out of our socks. We're so happy, our little family of five, and we're really enjoying it. So the thing about, the, the thing about it is that during that birth process, 
you must know that that is really important because if anything goes wrong during that process, it can have a knock-on effect for that child for the rest of their lives. And many times, people have issues late in life because of something actually going wrong with the birth process. And it's not just as simple as like the baby needs to be delivered normally, but as a baby comes out, there are a few integral things that God has put in place for that baby to, to need. Things like physical touch, things like sustenance, nourishment that needs to be put in place. And if those things are not correctly put in place, you will see that that child will have long-term effects. I, I looked up a quick study. Um, it, it won't be done today anymore because I, I think people will freak out and it makes sense, but it's a study they did on monkeys. They don't do these things anymore. It was done in the 1950s. And what they did is they, they looked at the effect of when a new baby monkey was born and they took away one of the crucial elements that we think that we need, being physical touch. And they wanted to look at the effect that would have on the monkeys. And so I had these two um, basically wire surrogate moms. So not really moms. The babies were born, put in a cage. They had these two moms made out of wire. The one was the one that provided all the food. So anytime they would put food in the cage, they would put it with that wire monkey. And the other one, they wrapped in cloth so that it was soft. And what they found is the monkeys, as they started adapting, they would get food from the one, but they would go to the soft one trying to look for the, the little bit of touch that they can experience. And this is what they found afterwards. When Harlow split his monkeys into two groups, one with the cloth-covered mothers and the other with the mothers uh, made only of wire, a dramatic difference began to emerge. While the monkeys housed with more, figure, um, with more figures had normal reaction to fear, the others seemingly lacked the ability to soothe themselves, staying in a heightened, more intense state of terror for longer. A lack of regular touch, he concluded, had knocked something askew in their development. So it's just a baby not receiving the physical touch that it should because God ordained it to be that way, had a knock-on effect that this little baby monkey could never relax. It could never come to a place of feeling safe. Now I want to say that with human beings, that's exactly the same. We need certain things in the birth process, otherwise it could be dangerous for us going forward. And how much more, I want to argue tonight, do we need the normal Christian birth? And that's the title of tonight. When you get born spiritually, there are certain things that God wants to put in place in your life. And if you miss it, if it happens incorrectly, you'll still be a Christian, but something will be lacking. Something will be wrong in your Christian walk. And you'll just feel like there's something needed. And you might not be able to place your finger on it. But I'm trusting tonight that as we look at what a normal Christian birth, not an abnormal one, the normal Christian birth, each of us need to go through. As we look at that, I want to ask you to really ask yourself, have I gone through all of these steps in my walk with God? If you have, fantastic. Then you know how to disciple others and make sure that you put these building blocks in their lives as well. The way we're going to do it is I want to look at a spiritual birth in the Bible. And it's one of the most influential guys. It's a guy called Paul. And uh, Paul, I want to say like if I look at him as a, as a spiritual adult, I think he was a healthy spiritual baby. Does that make sense? So I'm like, let's look at his life. So if you want to open up your Bible, you can to Acts 9, verse 1 to 20. Otherwise, you can sit next to a Christian. And, <laughs> and if you can't find one of those, then we'll put it on the screen for you. <clears throat> but we're going to read certain portions uh, in the book of Acts in chapter 9. I'm going to go through four things tonight. 
going to mention them to you, and then I'm going to go through slowly. And at the end of tonight, I want to make sure that there's time for response. So firstly, the four things, the four crucial steps for a spiritual baby to be born. Firstly, is an experiential knowledge of God. Experiential knowledge. I'll get to it now. Secondly, a revelation of the people of God, of the church. You need that. Thirdly, it is, I should do it the other way around because you were looking from the other side. Thirdly, it is um, uh, baptism in water, water baptism. We'll speak about that. And fourthly, it is baptism in the Holy Spirit. I think there's a fifth one we can speak about another time that I see in the life of Paul. But those are the four crucial steps that each of us should have. And I want to go through them one by one. So firstly, um, Acts 9 verse 1 to 3, looking at an experiential knowledge of God. You can put that up. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So what we're seeing here is this guy called Saul or Paul. He hates Christians. He's a Jew. He, uh, he, does, he despises them. He thinks they are on the wrong path. And so he's out to get them in jail and to get them killed. This guy called Paul. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found anyone belonging to the way, uh, the way just means Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and listen to this, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Paul was incredibly clever. And now God wants to come into Paul's life, and he wants to come and change his life. He wants to transform him. He wants to give him the normal Christian birth. He wants to come and make this guy an influential Christian. It's really interesting the way that God chooses to do that is he does not take Paul's knowledge. Paul could recite most of the Old Testament out of his head. He probably knew the Bible better than any of us would ever know the Bible in our entire lives. And God could have come and showed him something in the Old Testament and I would have thought, that's the best way. This guy's clever. Rather do it like that. But what God comes to do is he says, no, I don't want it to be only head knowledge. I want this guy to have an experiential knowledge of me. And so as he's riding on his horse, this light shines out of heaven, and he has an experience with God. And I want to say, for you to be a Christian that is born the correct way, you need an experiential knowledge of God. You don't only need to know about God, but you need to know God. I have an experience with him. Last Sunday when Jonathan Conrath was here, we called it Encounter Jesus, right? That's what, that was the, the aim of it, that we would come to, to a place where we encounter Jesus. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Each of us need to be able to look past, look on our lives, look at our spiritual walk and say, yes, I've had an encounter with Jesus. And so my question to you is if I were to come to you and ask you, tell me about your relationship with God. Tell me when it started. Then I know some of you will backpedal because you thought, no, I was born a Christian basically and my parents are a Christian and you've heard the teaching but you can't pinpoint a date and, and that's fine. I'm not speaking about that. I'm not saying it's a specific date. But if I had to ask you, tell me on your life, when was there a moment that you know like you know like you know that year I met God? And if you can't answer that, I think you need to go back to the drawing board and ask, Lord, am I saved? And like many people would say, that's bad to preach that. But I would rather have you doubt your salvation and actually find your salvation than not doubt it and never find it. 
So I'm not asking you to stay in this place. I'm not saying you should be a schizophrenic Christian that always doubts their salvation. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you've never had that moment or a moment where you can say, God has come into my life, I experienced him. I felt him in my heart. I knew his closeness. I experienced his presence and something changed. If you can't say that, I wonder whether you've had the normal Christian birth. We need that moment in our life. And if you haven't had that, then tonight we want to pray for you. We want to lay hands on you. We want to trust that God will come into your life, not only in a head knowledge way, but in a heart knowledge way. We're not into emotionalism. Let me just say that. I'm not into like we always need a goosebump. We always need to feel God. No, the Bible says we need to, we need to serve the Lord with all of our mind, strength, and everything within us. So, so we do serve the Lord with our mind. I'm not saying that. It's fine to think about the Lord, but a head knowledge that does not tra- translate to a heart knowledge is not the knowledge that God wants you to have. He wants you to know Him experientially. The best way that I can think of it is, um, is the difference between knowing someone, uh, knowing about someone, and actually knowing someone. And then in the middle, there's something called being an acquainted to someone. Let me explain. Uh, this is the only person I could think of, like who's, who's an influential person that all of us would know. And then um, I thought Captain uh, um, Spanish Sailor would not work. What's that guy? Kurt Darren. <laughs> That's not going to work. So I thought second best, Nelson Mandela. Okay. So all of us know Nelson Mandela. <laughs> but there's a, there's a big difference between knowing of someone and knowing someone. Amen? <laughs> all right? Because if you know of someone, you can read their books, you can look at all of those things, and it could impact the way that you live, but it's not going to have a lot, it's not going to have like a, an impact on you that really changes you completely. The only way to really be changed by someone is to spend time with them, to know them, to not just know about them, but to know them. And I, I quickly read um, this guy, a lady, Zelda Legrancy, she was Nelson Mandela's PA for many years, and she said this. I thought it was really telling. She said, the learning from Mandela becomes part of one's nature. She said, by spending time with this man, who obviously had an impact on the world, by spending time with her, him, it impacted her nature. Now, I want to say, how much more with God? How much more? That if we really know him, it would impact our nature. And many of us, we know the Sunday school answers, we know about him, but ah, I don't know if we know him. Well, some of us have been acquainted with him, meaning you, like some people were acquainted with Nelson Mandela. They shook his hand once or twice, maybe had a quick coffee with him, but they still didn't know him. They weren't acquainted with him to that extent that their lives were changed. The question is, when it comes to God, do you know about him? You don't have to have a date. That's not the point. But if you look back, has there been a time where you can say, like, I really know him? Or you're just acquainted with him, maybe. I've met him. I've had one or two times with him in his presence, but I'm not, I'm not in a, a deep relationship with him. Jonathan Edwards said the following, Preaching has no effect because it causes no effect. It's probably one of the biggest preachers ever to walk this earth. And I want to say amen. The moment you start preaching, you think, ah, oh, you wish it could change people. But it's only by the spirits of God. We need the voice behind the voice. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Needs God, God's voice. He says, preaching has no effect. I'm bold to assert that there was never any considerable change wrought in the mind or conversion of any person by anything of a religious nature that he ever read, heard, or saw who had not had his affections moved. 
says, any change, the only change that's ever taken place is when your affections, when your emotions have been moved. Listen, we, not, we don't live off our emotions, but we need our emotions. So I want to ask you, first step, first step, have you experienced them? Okay. Second one is a revelation of the church. Now, uh, Paul goes in, in Acts 9, verse 4 to 5. We see this, and this is just carrying on with the story. So Paul is riding on his horse, and uh, this light out of heaven comes, and Jesus speaks to him. So if you were to read this in your Bible, you would see that these are in red letters. It's the word of Jesus. And let's read from verse 4. It says, And falling to the ground, Paul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Okay, wait, let's try that again. You guys are... But slow on the uptake tonight. <laughs> okay. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Me. Me. Some of you reading out of the King James Version, it says thou or something. That's why you were so confused. Why are you persecuting thou? <laughs> and out of the message saying, who can persecute you, my bra, or something. <laughs> no. It just says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I want to ask you, Saul was on his way to persecute who? Who was he persecuting? Church or Jesus? He was persecuting the church, but when Jesus comes and he speaks to Paul, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? What Jesus is trying to teach Paul from the beginning, the normal Christian birth is a relationship vertical is also a relationship horizontal. You cannot have a relationship with me or at least you can't, cannot have a healthy one with me if you don't have a healthy relationship with the body of Christ. You need both. The only reason I'm standing here, the only reason I love Jesus, the only reason I'm preaching and walking in an extent of my calling is yes through Jesus, but Jesus through his church. It's the only reason. You want to do anything for God? You want to be anything for God? You want to really love him until you blow out your last breath? Then find the people of God. Otherwise, you're going to struggle and find a revelation that you need the people of God. God had to say, Paul, experience me. Now, first thing that I want to teach you is you need other people. Listen to what he does here. Then Paul goes in verse 10, and it says the following. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at a house of Judas, the other Judas, not that one that you're thinking of, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Let me pause with you for a moment. After Paul has his experience with the Lord, after Jesus speaks to him, God comes and God makes Paul blind. Just let that sink in. God gives Paul a sickness. Let it sink in. <laughs> like, no, God can never do that. No, no, it's in the Bible, I promise. I'm, I'm not reading out of the message. I'm reading out of the Bible, right? <laughs> Being naughty tonight. <laughs> the message is like a commentary. You can read it for fun. Don't read it for Bible reading, okay? <laughs> but um, where was I now? Flip. Oh, man. <laughs> God gives him blindness. God makes Paul blind, okay? God does that. And then God says to Paul, 
Not, no, not like Paul, pray and fast, and if you pray and fast enough, then I'll take away your blindness. God gives him a king. God gives him a disability. He says, the only way that you can get past this disability is you are going to have to go to someone else, and they have to pray for you. The only solution to his problem, the only solution to his disability was found in the hands of another person and not in his own. And I wonder how many of us are just stuck with the Lord, stuck with areas in our lives, and we're trying our best, we're praying, we're bringing it before the Lord, we're journaling, we're doing everything. But my question is, man, maybe you're never going to get the breakthrough you need because you haven't had the revelation of church that your breakthrough lies with another it lies within the body of Christ. The body of Christ can come around us and they will help us to break free from things. So we need the body of Christ around us. I'm not going to labor on this too much. You guys have been watching something called This is Church. And we've been speaking about the church a lot. But I'll just say this lastly. Remember, I went through a form of church discipline a couple of years ago. And um, Andrew Selly came and he, he spoke to me. And it was really a difficult moment. And he it was one of those aha moments for me. It's like when you say the words, you just think, where did that come from? It's like God just drops something in your heart and it just happens. And Andrew said to me, listen, Leonard, if I tell you to stop with the sin that you're in right now, would you be able to stop? And it was just the word just came to me. I said, Andrew, I think I can, but not alone. It was an aha moment. That was the revelation that I needed there, that I need the church. And the same thing, Paul had that aha moment. Lord, I can do this thing maybe, but I need others, not alone. Third thing, water baptism. Um, Acts 9 verse 18. It says, uh, now this is after Ananias prayed for him, and it says, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized. As simple as that. So I think the thing with baptism, I've got like a bit of a thing with baptism. <laughs> I want people to be baptized. Because I feel like it is a crucial step in your walk with God and you, are, you, you haven't been born properly if you haven't been baptized. It's in the Bible. This is like, this is the normal. This is not abnormal. It's not like, this is for the Paul types. They need to get baptized. It's not that. Every one of us should go through these things. I had coffee with the guy. He might be here, so I, I'm not saying anything that I wouldn't say to him. But I had coffee with the guy about baptism this week. And lovely guy, loves the Lord. And we had a disagreement, but not a bad one. Like, we would hug afterwards, and like he offered to pay for my coffee, so it couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> but we spoke about baptism, and like he's, he's, he was baptized as an infant. And in South Africa, that's many times where the whole gripe with baptism comes. No, but I have been baptized. And I just, at some stage, I'm like, uh, can I just ask you, just forget about what your old church says. Forget about what Josh Jen says. Just open the Bible, open up Google, and type in all scriptures about baptism. Go read all of them, and it's really simple. All you're going to learn is get saved, get baptized. It's really that simple. But the traditions of man, the traditions of churches, have made it a complicated issue where it's not supposed to be a complicated issue. Acts 2.38 says, repent, be baptized. Not be baptized and repent. It's not that way around. Everywhere you read, it says, first repent, first give your life to Jesus, then get baptized. And something happens in you spiritually, and we need it. It's not like ad hoc, yeah, I'll do it if I want to. God 
what it's about, it's about obedience. God asks you to do something that might not make sense to you. Like, yes, get dunked in water. It's like go for a swim, basically, right? <laughs> it's a weird thing. Just think about it. Let two people hold you, close your nose. They're going to push you underwater and then hopefully pull you up again. Just think about it like that. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> it's a weird thing. Now, God asks you to do that. And you might say, God, but I don't understand. That is the point. You don't have to understand it. Just do it. That's the first thing. After you get saved, it's the first thing that God asks of you. And if you can't do that, how can he ask you to do anything else? It's your first step of obedience. So I said to this guy, man, just chuck everything. Because what started happening is, and some of you would relate, God stuck in this place. He says, but my old church says this. And you guys say this, and both love the Lord, so what am I supposed to do? Where's the truth? And I'm like, honestly, you should not care about what your old church says. Only what Josh Jane says. It's, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I said, you should not care about what your old church says. Don't care about it. And you should not care about what Josh Jane says. What we say is not an issue here. You should only care about what the Bible says. And if the Bible says it, then you do it, whether it makes sense or not. That's it. And I want to say to you, if you haven't been baptized, you haven't been born properly spiritually. And I want to encourage you, baptized after you got saved. That's the order in the Bible. Okay? You haven't been born spiritually properly. And I want to encourage you to really do it. If you've got questions, you're more than welcome to ask. Then the final one is, so we've gone through an experiential knowledge of God. We need that. We've gone through a revelation of the church. We've gone through water baptism. And then there's something called Holy Spirit baptism. I remember getting saved, and I was 17 years old, four years ago. And the guy, <laughs> the fact that you're laughing offends me. <laughs> Five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was six years ago, right? I was 17 years old. I got saved. <laughs> and, um, okay, fine, seven, right? <laughs> it's more like, I don't even know. Where's the 2016 years ago? Let's be honest, yeah. <laughs> yes, they, oh, that's what I'm looking for right there. <laughs> that's a, me, a man who sees with eyes of faith. I love it. <laughs> And the guy who led us to the Lord, he, he explained it to us this way. We, he, he led us to the Lord. He baptized us. I'm, I'm, I'm so privileged that he walked that road with us. He explained it to us. And it was in a very conservative, traditional church. But this man just went for the Lord. And he said to us that when you, when you come to know the Lord, then the Holy Spirit resides in you. Like every Christian has the Holy Spirit in you. But he explained to us that there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit in you and having the Holy Spirit upon you. And, and he said, that is why in the Bible we see these occurrences of people coming alongside you and praying for you for the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts 1 verse 18 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And then it goes on. So what baptism in the Holy Spirit basically is, is it's a time after you've given your life to the Lord, where people come, they lay hands on you, and they just trust that there would be, the Holy Spirit would come upon you and give you an endowment of power. That's what we're asking for. 
It's not about the goosebump. The goosebump is nice. Like maybe you fall over. Maybe you start speaking in tongues. Those things are good. It's signs that something is happening there. Those things are good. But it's not about that per se. Acts 1 verse 18 says, the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you can be my witnesses. So it's Holy Spirit come upon me so that I can go out for you. That's what it's about. And each of us need that moment where people then pray for us. And there's some manifestation. You don't have to speak in tongues. I believe the Bible says we don't all have to speak in tongues. Paul says he wish all of us would speak in tongues. So I think it's great if all of us do. But that's not, that's not the aim. Like some of us will start walking in other gifts. But it's an endowment of the Spirit's power so that we function in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the sake of His church, for the unsaved world out there. We all need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, Acts 9 verse 17 for Paul. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to, that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul went through four crucial steps. And I want to ask you, have you gone through these four crucial steps? If you want to be born properly, if you want to keep growing in the Lord, you need it. Have you had an experiential uh, uh, do you have an experiential knowledge of God? Right? Do you have a revelation of the church? Do you know that this is your spiritual family? That you need them? That you need them? Do you know that? Not do you come on a Sunday. Not do you come on a Wednesday now and then. Not that. Have you given your life here? Which means you'll come on a Sunday and a Wednesday. But have you given yourself fully to this body? We're not perfect. We're not. It's not that. Thirdly, have you been baptized in water? Fourthly, have people come alongside you, laid their hands on you, and prayed for you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If uh, Greta can come forward and if we can stand.